Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. I want to talk about here just this morning about how the God who answers by consuming fire. And have y'all, as a matter of fact, just to give an example, I had a I had an opportunity to go interview with a, a funeral home director here just, uh, when was it, John? It was like Friday, wasn't it? And, and he said something about, we were talking about burial and, and uh, cremation and all these other things. And he says, just kind of discussing the paperwork behind cremation. It just I, I never even thought about it. He said, there's so much more paperwork that has to be done. He says, because cremation is final, right? It's not like burial, you can go pull the body out of the ground, exhume the body, look at it, right? Cremation, it's done, right? The body is burned. How many of you realize that that's exactly what God operates by? He is a consuming fire. When you give your life to Him, it's not like the old things have just passed away. Come on, how many of you realize they're cremated, they're gone, they say bon, it ain't coming back, it's gone. There's no more evidence of what, God, what the enemy has done in your life. It is done. He says at the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. It is finished. You know, that, that word there, actually in the Greek, it kind of says it's like paid in full, if you want to say it that way. Paid in full. You don't owe nothing. All you have to do is walk in Him. And when we begin to follow His commandments, He can change our lives. We can begin to walk in the fullness of our potential. God can begin to speak to us. It, it happens to be every day. It's incredible. I mean, I'll just be walking along sometimes. It's mo- not the most convenient time, right? God is sovereign. He operates on His time. I'll just be walking on the treadmill. Holy Spirit will say something. Man, that's why I got that little safety thing. I just pull it out. Okay, here we go. But we were looking at the letters in Revelation. If you haven't been here these past couple of weeks, there's, there's a couple different, there's seven letters to seven churches in, in, in Asia Minor. And those seven churches are, uh, are, are the seven churches. One of them is Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia. There's a few different ways that we can look at it. Come on, when you read something, I want you just to get this perspective in your mind that there's, there's a few different ways that you can read something. How many of y'all realize that people have different perspectives, right? When you read things, you have to understand what the Bible is saying, right? Not just what you get out of it. Come on, I'm not interested if you say, well, I get, this is what I get out of it, right? Come on, how many of you know that? It's important that, yeah, you get some things out of it, but to know what God wants to give into you, right? It's not just what I get, but it's what God wants to give. Let's get some import, the importance of the context. Three different ways we can look at this. From a historical prophetic. How many of you realize that the Bible is an apocalyptic prophetic book? Right? And what that means is that the Bible was written to give you some indication of some things that are going to come. Right? That, as a matter of fact, many of the old, most of the Old Testament prophesies about Jesus coming. The resurrection, or the, the Messiah coming. The resurrection. And all those things. Right? It's prophetic. And the majority of those prophecies have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you took all the prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, and you put them, it's over 300, and if you put them <clears throat> next to Jesus' life, it's like some one in 20 bazillion, quadrillion chances that one person can fulfill all those prophecies, and Jesus did it prophetically. That book was written as much as 400 to, 4, to 2,000 years before Jesus ever came. So, so 
in, in the book of Revelation, you have some prophetic things that saying that this is some things that are going to come. And you see some of these things fulfilled. So there's a historical prophetic view. I want to talk about that. There's also the independent church view. He does say that this is written to the church. So we need to, as a church, come on, how many of you are part of the body of Christ? Can you raise your hand if you're part of the body of Christ? Well, I want, I, I, it's important that we do that because I need you to recognize that I'm, I'm about sick and tired of hearing people say, well, the church this, the church that, the church this, the church that. Well, we are the church. When you talk about the church, you talk about you, right? Amen? Come on, that's the church. You're not part of something until you begin to do something to change what you're part of. Come on, if you don't like what's going on, come on, do something to make it better, right? I want you to know, I believe that the church is called to every nook, cranny, corner, rug, and everywhere else, every rock that's on this base of this planet. But not one person can get there. Well, we need a body of believers getting there. So as a body, we have to recognize that we are the church. Amen? The assembly, the ecclesia. Then we have a personal application view. We can look at things. So when we're reading all of Scripture, be saying, what does this mean prophetically? What does this mean as a whole? And then what does this mean to me? How can I apply this to my life? If you read Scripture and you don't apply it to your life, stop reading Scripture. You're not getting the point, right? Jesus says... That was the difference between what Jesus did and the Pharisees did. If you don't know the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders when Jesus was on the earth. And, and, and the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is Jesus allowed what God had revealed in the Old Testament to affect his life. And he began to ha put actionable items to the things that God said to do. He didn't just say, man, look at this poor person. Oh, let me the feel, theorize why this poor person's poor and just why we should do all that. No, he had compassion on people. He began to pray for the sick and they will recover. The Pharisees, they just said, I'm going to be holy, more holy than everybody else and just live in my little box and we'll just know more about the Bible. In fact, we'll just use it to hold it over people's heads to have a power over them. Well, the church is meant to have action, right? So we have a personal applicable view. So I, I threw up here, I have some a slide if we can, uh, let's see if we can get it to do. In the book of... Uh, Ephesus, as you see this historical prophetic view, you have the, is the, the apostolic church. They have a, uh, yeah, the apostolic church. So prophetically speaking, the church in Ephesus uh, is kind of prophetically speaking to uh, the church, the apostolic church, the very beginning church of AD 30 through 100. You know that that's the church who lost their first love, right? They were there, they saw Jesus. They were there when Jesus was on the earth. Uh, the, the, the book of Smyrna, uh, the letter to the church in Smyrna was the persecuted church. And we know that that, that church was from about A.D. 100 to 313. And that was whenever the Roman government was vehemently persecuting the church. If you said you were a Christian, they would, they would kill you. They, they would persecute you. They would make an example of you. They thought what you were doing was illegal. Okay? And in 313, we have the church in Pergamum, the state church. AD 313, how many of you know that that's whenever uh, Constantine, he made the Edict of Milan and he began to say that Christianity is an acceptable religion in the world, right? Because in Rome, the, Rome was the world, right? And then that began the process of making the church the official religion of the Roman government, which is where we get our Roman Catholic church at today, right? And that, that began to go on. So it wasn't like a matter of like, hey, give your heart to Jesus, you'll be saved. No. Give your heart to Jesus and you'll be saved because if not, I'm going to kill you and you're going to get put in jail, right? It became the official religion, right? It was like no choice. You're a Christian, period. You can continue to live your paganist lifestyle. You can begin to 
You can still continue to worship idols. You can continue to do all those things. But we're calling you a Christian. And in fact, we still have some remnants of that in the church today. Whenever you begin to see a lot of this, it's called syncretism. It's whenever people, they bring in some things from the outside world into the things of God, right? And they begin to co-mingle and they become, they're kind of hard to tell apart. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Then you have the Papal Church, the, the Church of Thyatira. And I will talk about that a little bit today. That, and that was whenever they began to put the Pope, became the leader of the church. And as a matter of fact, during that period of, of 590 through 1517 is also known as the Dark Ages. Y'all have heard that term, that's the Dark Ages. And in fact, it became very church-controlled world. Where, as a matter of fact, the kings would be in submission to the Pope, right? And, and they begin to do a lot of things and begin to put into a lot of syncretism into the church. And then that led to the, the church of Sardis, which is the Reformed Church. And many of you know in, in 1517, uh, Martin Luther, right there in Germany, he goes and, and posts his 95 theses. He says, no, this y'all gotten it wrong. Why? Because the church began to add on to some things that were meant for grace, right? How many of you realize that Jesus, when he said, it is finished, it is finished, right? We don't have to pray for the dead. We don't have to offer penance. We don't have to go to purgatory. We don't have to do any of those things. The truth is, is that Jesus says, it is finished. Well, all we have to do is confess with our mouth. It says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. As soon as people begin to add to that and bring in some things of the world, we're going to talk about this a little bit today, the gospel be begins to get contaminated and confusing and adversarial and ineffective. The Reformed Church, and they begin to do some, look at things a little differently, and that's where we get the church of the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church. Then you have the, the, the Philadelphia Church, which is also the, known as the Missionary Church, AD 1730 to 1900. And I talked about it a couple of months back, the Moravian Church, as people began to say, you know what? We need to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, we're going to recklessly abandon our own lives to go and, and overseas and share the gospel to a lost and dying world. And this is where we get songs like It Is Well. And we get songs that were written by, all the, by, by Charles Wesley, right? And, and, and the Wesleyan Church. And they begin to do a lot of ministry. Then we have, of course, the Church of Laodicea, the Apostate Church. Can we go to the next slide real quick? And I just want to show you that, that for one, these letters were written. You can see there... On the left, the Isle of Patmos, a little island there off of the coast of Asia. And that's actually a picture of, of Thyatira. And then the, the letters were written not just to be read at each church, right? You can see that it kind of looks like a circuit. They went to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and come back around. The, Paul wrote these letters intended for the person carrying them to go and read all the letters to each church along the way. Right? The reason they were written in that order is just because that's... You're walking that way, right? Like you got to go to, if you want to go to Lake Charles from here, you want to take Highway 90, you got to go to Abbeville, right? Then you got to go to Kaplan. And then you got to go to Gaydon, right? And then you got to go to Wright. Then you got to go to Lake, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not going to go kind of skipping around, right? So this is why they did that that way, all right? Praise God. So here this morning, I want to read a little bit from, I want to read this letter to the, to the church in Thyatira. And then I believe that God has a message for us this morning. And, uh, Pray for me that I get through it. Amen. So Revelations 2, 18 through 29. It reads this. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. 
I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. And unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to just go to the Lord in prayer. Can we bow our heads together? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you for these letters, Lord. I pray that here this morning, Lord, your word can just begin to penetrate our hearts, Lord. That we can leave this place never the same again. Lord, that if there's anything in our hearts that is there that is foreign to your gospel, Lord, we pray that you burn it away. Lord, you consume it with fire. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So you can see here this church in Thyatira, just to give you a little historical background, was probably founded by a woman named Lydia. If you look in Acts 16, 14, and she met Paul there in Philippi. It says that she worked as a, she would make fabrics dyed with purple. That's kind of what their thing was, right? Kind of like, you know, if you go down to uh, Avery Island, what's their thing? Tabasco, right? If you go to Opelousas, man, what they do? That's kind of a scary question. Maybe I should have not. Uh, <laughs> they make Tony Sasheries, right? Uh, I'm just picking. I want to look at three verses of Scripture, though, this morning. And, and I want to kind of tie them to this. And, and uh, I want you to just kind of get, get an idea for some things. So three verses, and there's three simple verses. If you can write them down, write them down. I have them on the screen. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Look at your neighbor and say, sacrifice is my reasonable service. Paul continues to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Whew, man. The word of God discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Come on, you can do the greatest work if you've got the wrong intents. God knows. The word will reveal it. 
Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. I'm sorry I'm using scripture to preach. Sheesh, huh? Really, huh? I, exactly. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 25 through 26. Husbands just kind of underline that. It says, husbands, love your wives. Look at your wife and tell you you love her. Tell her you love her. I love you, babe. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might sanctify and cleanse. Now this is Jesus talking about the church. How does Jesus sanctify and cleanse the church? By the washing of the water by the word. To be honest with you, all Jesus does is begins to read the word of God. and It can have the ability to cleanse you and wash you. As a matter of fact, the word of God is very important to your very identity. I want you to just kind of get that idea. As we apply the word of God, our identity is changed, right? We get changed from broken to perfect. Well, that's that whole process of sanctification. Man, I give my heart to Jesus. What do I do now? Get into the word of God. He's going to begin to transform your very thoughts. Your identity will change. Come on, you're not going to change into something, you know, where you were wearing baggy jeans to wearing a suit and tie. That's not the kind of change I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're going to have a mind that was broken and corrupted and your whole thought process is going to begin to change, right? You're going to start looking at people differently. You're going to start caring about people. You're going to start loving people. You're going to start living like Jesus and have compassion on people. Come on, how many of you realize that Christian people are giving people? Because Jesus is a giving people, right? Well, how many of you realize that we give not just of our finances, but we give of our time, of our energy, of our efforts? Well, how many of you realize that is the identity? Why do we do that? Because Jesus says to do it. He says if you, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says that if, if, I, if you get struck on one cheek, give him the other cheek. Man, that's a hard verse. That's a hard verse. I get, man, people say things not so nice about me sometimes. Well, how I many you know, I'm still here, right? I'm still loving Jesus. I'm still smiling. Why? Because, man, that Jesus went through so much more than I'll ever go through. He didn't just give him another cheek. Come on, he gave him. They were pulling the very hairs out of his beard, it says in the Gospels. Come on, then it says that, that if someone steals your, your, your jacket, give them your coat too. I, I don't know if anybody in Louisiana actually owns a jacket and a coat, right? Not necessary. We don't have harsh enough winters. It says if, if, if they ask you to go one mile, do what? Go the second mile, right? Do more than what's required of you. See, this is living. Your very identity begins to change. You became, begin to be an ambassador of, of Christ. You begin to say, it's not I who lives. I don't live for me anymore. I live for Christ. You see, the word, it begins to clean deeply, right? I, I, I love, I love when I, when I, whenever the kids, you tell them, hey, go clean up your room, right? See, I, for me, I go tell them to go clean up your room. They go, they put their shoes under the bed, they do this, they straighten up this and that, right? And then their mom will walk in like two seconds later. This room is filthy. You know, there's like dust here. There's dust there and all this other stuff, right? Why? Because like it, it was picked up. It wasn't clean. Come on. How many of us can live a life? You know, we live some good principles and we live some good morals, right? But it's just a surface level cleaning. Come on. But you've got to get into the word of God and begin to wipe all the dust off and begin to sweep underneath the, 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 the bed and begin to do all the things that you really need to do. See, that's what the Word does. It washes. It's a deep cleansing if we allow it to cleanse us. See, our very identity is founded in the Word, but we have to stay in the Word regularly. Because, see, the Word will keep us from living in the world. Can you imagine? I mean, how many of y'all, I'm not going to ask this question, but 
But think about it, right? You have to, if you were going to wash something, let's take our bodies as an example, right? If we just took a bath once a month, right? Come on, we wouldn't have many friends, right? Come on, we need to take a bath or a shower every single day. I mean, at least once a day, some twice, right? Or whatever. The fact is, is that it has to be regularly washed. See, if we just read our Bibles once a week or once a month, come on, how many of you realize that we may not really have that sense of cleansing, right? Well, if we don't, if we don't take a bath every day, we just take a bath once a month, well, you have to put a whole lot of perfume, right? I believe that you see people in the church, man, they look all the part, but on the inside, they're filthy, right? Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Well, they want to look the part, but do they want to be the part? The part happens when we begin to apply the Word of God to our lives on a daily basis. It begins to wash and purify. It's our very identity. How do we know who we are? By the Word. You see, the Word teaches us to worship. See, this is all this whole conversation is about. It's about worship. It's about worship. What you worship begins to identify you. Come on, if, if you, everything that you do, every ounce of who you are is going into that boat or that makeup cabinet or that jewelry cabinet. Come on, whenever people begin to see you, they're going to begin to identify you with what you worship. Everything that you are, if you, hunting, what at your job, absolutely, right? Well, but that's not what God's called us to. I'm not saying those things are evil, but our worship needs to be to the one true God, the one who saved us, our maker, our creator. We need to worship Him and Him alone. How do we know if we're doing that? We have to get washed in the Word. What if you've been doing something wrong all your life and you begin to see in the Word that I've been doing this wrong? You need to make some changes, right? Well, we've all been there before. It's not condemnation. That's, that's forgiveness and grace. The bottom line is Jesus wants to get to know us better. He wants to walk us to walk in purity. Come on, how many of you lose sleep because of guilt at night? How many of you lose sleep because of shame? Shame. Jesus, He can wash away all of those things. It says that the blood of Jesus makes us white as snow. Come on, I sleep like a baby since I've been knowing Jesus. I sleep better than a baby. I, mean, I could fall asleep right now. I, it's, it's awesome. I, can, I promise I can sit in that chair and go to sleep. No problem. You see, as we look in this book of Revelations, we see here that, that, that Jesus, he identifies himself. He says, I'm the Jesus who has eyes like a flame of fire. How many of you know that fire consumes, fire purifies, fire, it penetrates? Well, when you put fire to something, it don't just clean the outside. It consumes the whole thing of it, right? It goes down to the very core, just like that cremation. It's kind of a weird way to identify this, but it's a great element of it, I guess. It's permanent. Fire purifies. Come on, for something that's wood, hay, and stubble, it eliminates. For those things that are precious, like gold and silver, come on, what does it do? It purifies. Jesus has the eyes like flames of fire. Don't think that I can do the good things over here and, and I can apply all my holiness over here to Jesus, but I can do all my nastiness over here. And Jesus, the fire of Christ, doesn't reach that. Come on, it says eyes because he sees everything. Come on, how many of you know that God is omniscient? He's omnipotent. He's everywhere. He has all the power. He sees it all. His lens can penetrate into every dark place. The Word of God reveals the depths of our hearts. It says that His feet are like fine brass. In Scripture, you know that brass represents judgment. He has judgment on His feet that He stands on the authority of God Himself. 
This is the one who is speaking to us, who has the fire in his eyes, who has the judgment on his feet. But how many of you know that if we lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus, his judgment is forgiveness and grace. You see, I believe that every all of us, it says that we're appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Today, you have an opportunity to receive your judgment in eternity today. Think about that. You can put it off until you're dead. That's fine. You're going to have to answer for all of your works. Or you can have meet your maker and your judge today, Jesus Christ. And he says that, that you plead my blood and it, it covers all of your sins. I've been to court a few times. And you have to plead. You have a plea, right? Not guilty, guilty, no contest. That's it. That's it. In eternity, we have another plea. We can plead the blood of Jesus. Come on, I, want, I can't let you leave here without knowing the answer to that question. Whenever you meet your maker on that great and final day, God is going to say, these are all of your sins. These are all the things that you've done. What is your plea? The answer for you today is to say, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ that washes me white as snow. And he'll just simply say, dismissed, dismissed. You see there in, that, in, in the church, it says that I know your works, your love, your service, your faith and your patience. He says that the last is more than the first. You see, their patience, although it was good, it led to, oh, their, to their witness being contaminated. Come on, how many of you know we get saved? How many of you have been saved in this room for, for five years or more? How many have been saved for 10 years or more? 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? 60 years? We have a few. 70 years? Miss Lou. Thank you, Jesus. Miss Lou, come on. Can we just give her a round? Miss Lou, has it been the easiest thing you've ever done? Or has it been the most faithful thing you've ever done? Faithful thing, right? It ain't always easy. It ain't always easy. You see, what happened here is they began to give their hearts to Jesus. And over time, their, their patience was strong. But how many of you know that our tolerance many times for the sin in our life can turn into contamination? Our tolerance can lead us to acceptance if we're not washing daily in the Word of God. You see, that's what happened. They begin, to, they begin to allow someone from the outside to come into their body and begin to contaminate them. And although they were patient for a time because they realized that, that Jesus is coming back. Come on, I, I love people and I love lost people. But if I begin to minister to them and, and they're not, their lives aren't changing, if I stay in that situation long enough, my life will begin to change. And they actually begin to let this person come into their congregation and begin to teach and, and have a, 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 a sway over people. And it was leading people away from the gospel. It says that it led them to sexual immorality and eating foods that were sacrificed to idols. You see, I don't believe that that's what they said. She didn't say, hey, let's all be sexual immoral, immoral tomorrow, right? No, they're going to be like, you're crazy, get out of here. But how many of you realize that the work of the enemy is slow and deceptive? Well, he didn't just come in and say, hey, let's go murder somebody, right? No, he starts with offense. And that leads to hatred, right? That leads to murder. That's why Jesus said, if you have hate in your heart, you've already murdered him in your heart. Don't think yourself so high just because you haven't committed the act. We all need Jesus. 
your patience has led to, to acceptance or intolerance. He says that, that you have no part with wickedness. You've allowed a Jezebel woman to teach and to seduce. She calls herself a prophetess. You know, just because someone has a title doesn't mean that their hearts are pure. Remember the word of God, it looks into the hearts and intents of the people. Well, know the heart of the people who are teaching you. Well, if they're not displaying or, or, or if you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, can I just say just maybe back off a little bit? Back off a little bit. You'll judge them by their fruits. Just because they say they're a prophet, just because they can hear things and say things that may penetrate even your very conscience. If there's no fruit, come on, there's no root. There's no depth of life. There's no connection to the Father. The enemy's subtle. It doesn't just happen right now, but we, it happens over time. It doesn't just come out and say, let's do this or that. He says, let's, I'm going to lead you away and lead you astray. You see, you have to know the Word of God. You have to read your Bible every single day to keep your heart pure and to protect your life. And you can learn to spot a counterfeit. I, I love what Pastor Tommy would tell about Sister Lisa. She worked in a bank for many years. You see, they didn't teach people how to spot counterfeits. Why? Because there's so many different ways to counterfeit something. There's innumerable ways to counterfeit. What they taught her was to know every single little detail about the real thing of a, of a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill or a twenty dollar bill, right? And as soon as something came out that just looked a little off, boom, you could spot a counterfeit, right? You need to begin to know the real thing about Jesus, the real thing about the Word. You need to get into the Word of God, read it every single day, and then whenever a counterfeit comes, man, you can spot them from a mile away. You see, they let their patience begin to lead them and, and lull them into a sleep. Come on, I believe that God is saying to the church this morning to wake up. To wake up to the things of the world. Come on, there's things that are entering into the church even now that are seducing you and drawing you away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it may seem holy. It may have the, the right clothes on. It may say the right words, but it lacks the fruit of the Spirit. You can look at this story in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 16. I'm going to turn there. You can if you want. 1 Kings chapter 16. And then we're going to go to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. You've you got to know your word. Friends, know, know, the, know the word. The whole Old Testament, New Testament. Know the word. There we go. 1 Kings chapter 16. It's on page uh, 409. In my Bible. It talks about Jezebel who came in and began to seduce the people. And if, 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 you've, if you've read your, your, your Bible, you'd know, but I, I'm not saying maybe somebody's never read this story. Maybe somebody's not familiar with Jezebel. Like you hear that term, she's got a Jezebel spirit. You ever heard that term before? I've heard, I want to clear the air on that. What exactly does that mean? It doesn't just mean a sexually seductive person, right? Or a sexually seductive woman. It can be a person who's just seducing you away from the truth of the gospel, begins to add to it, begins to syncretize. It can just be, be a person or, or a system that's saying, well, you can, you're saved, but you got to do this. Or you got to do that. You got to do this, 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 this. More and more and more and more and more. <clears throat> I, I'm not trying to be facetious or cruel or mean toward any specific religion 
But there's, there, are, there are denominations and religions out there today, especially that are highly influential in this area, that add to the gospel. I want, I want you to know that, that it's Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to pray some, some wooden beads or to some dead saints to, to, to find grace and peace in your life. In, in 1 Kings chapter 16, we're in verse 29 and 30, we're introduced to this woman Jezebel. See, she came, she married King Ahab. Ahab was the king of Israel at the time. And what had happened is, is Ahab, he was a wicked, evil king, right? He was the leader, but he married Jezebel. And Jezebel, she was from the outside. She was from another part of the world, right? And she came in and she brought and she taught them how to worship Baal. And Baal was a foreign god. He was a pagan god, right? And they begin to build altars and begin to do sacrifices and do all these things. Now keep in mind, God had revealed himself exactly what to do in his word. He said, this, build the tabernacle, build the temple, do these things. This is how you worship me, the one true God who delivered you out of Egypt. And helped you to conquer this land. But Ahab, he got tired, he got impatient. He said, I want more now. And he began to allow the, the people of Israel to worship other things. They begin to mingle the truth of God with idolatry and wickedness. In fact, Ahab erected an altar to Baal and the, built a wooden image. It says that of all the kings up until that point, Ahab had provoked the Lord to more anger than any of them. I would in fact say probably all of them combined. See, Ahab allowed the outside influence of the world system to invade Israel. This is a message here for you children and you young ladies and men. I want to encourage you right now. To, to, you may be living and walking in the, in the ways of the Lord, listening to your parents, and you're starting to date or starting to see other people or hang out with other people. Let me tell you, your ability to affect them is going to be very minimal. Don't think that you can just date them and change their life. Come on, just because a person, if a person's living in sin before they're married, getting marriage, a contract, ain't going to keep them outside of sin. Well, you better learn to live a pure and holy life now and begin to build firm foundations. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You see, Ahab became unequally yoked. Why? Because he wanted something more. He thought there was something more. But he had everything, but he just didn't want to walk in it. Think about that. He had the, I mean, he was the king of Israel, Doc. He had it all, man. But yet he just didn't want to walk in those ways. He was seduced, drawn away. It probably just didn't happen overnight. It was a process of time. The devil is very seductive. The people begin to worship idols and participate in ungodly worship. You see, if you flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18, but there's always a man of God that comes on the scene. That man of God in this case is Elijah. You see, you have Jezebel. She is the one, the seductress. She is the one. Let me tell you, it doesn't have to be just this woman. She's just an example. I don't believe that, that even in this letter, you see, this letter was written to the, to, the, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? To the pastor, to the bishop, to the messenger, to the one who was taught to teach them. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He says, listen, there's somebody who's coming in you. You know who they are. They have the same spirit as Jezebel. A spirit that's drawing the people away. Because it could be with anything. It doesn't have to just be with sexual immorality. But those things can lead to that. Come on, how many of you, as we begin to even learn doctrines that say, well, everybody has a right to their own privacy. Well, how many of y'all heard that, right? Well, that leads to, 
Well, the right to privacy leads to, well, you can do whatever you want in your own house as long as it doesn't affect anybody else, right? Well, if you want to be homosexual in your own house, you can be homosexual. Hey, I can't say nothing about that. Come on. Who do you think you are? Oh, well, then, you know, next thing you know, it progresses to, well, everybody. Love is love. If I love somebody, if it's a man or a woman, I should just be able to love them. Well, then, oh, then, then well, if, if love is love and there's nothing anybody can do about that, well, then we should just have, make it legal to marry homosexuals. Oh, well, then if, they're, if they have to be married, then, then, of course, the ministers have to be able to do that, right? And then it's mandatory for ministers to do that. Do you realize there's churches in our country today that, that, that it is very clear in the Word of God that homosexuality is sin? It's not part of the will or way of the Lord, but yet there's churches who worship God in our country today that have been led away, led astray by Jezebel's spirit that has introduced sexual immorality. There, there's ministers who are forced by their denomination to marry homosexuals. Not this minister. And if, yeah, amen. You see, it's, it's not just a quick thing. It's very subtle. People, parents, Right now, media, um, this isn't a plug, but right now there's evil on the internet. There's evil on Netflix. Right now, media is a safe way. You have some kids and stuff in there, right? They don't got no Momo challenges on, on right now, media. If you don't know what that is, don't ask anybody. It's not worth it. What I'm telling you is it's safe. Know what your kids are looking at. Know what they say because they could be drawn away. We can be drawn away. The church can be drawn away. If we're not constantly staying watered by the word. I picked about, I'm using a lot of scripture this morning. I'm doing that on purpose. Why? Because the word is what has the power. The word is the two-edged sword that pierces. Well, not Joe's ideas or principles, right? Psychology, philosophy. Sorry, Doc, but you know. It's the word of God. A man of God comes on the scene and he begins to challenge this Jezebel spirit. <clears throat> In 1 Kings 18, 21, I, Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word because they began to be deceived. And they didn't even know they were in sin. Do you realize, church, that, the, that, that we are walking in a, in a time when people don't even realize that they're in sin? Come on, I believe that God is raising up an Elijah generation, a Daniel generation, a people who are going to begin to speak truth. And they're going to begin to say, you can't have this and that. It's this or that. You can't have God and Baal. You can't have righteousness and evil. Well, you can't just come and, have, and, and play on the worship team on Sunday morning and go live like hell on Monday through Saturday. Not here. Why? Because we we operate out of the overflow of our hearts. Elijah comes on the scene. He says, you falter between two opinions. He says, either follow God or follow him. Church, we need to make a decision this morning. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow the ways of the world? Come on, we can tell there's a dividing line within our nation right now. It's becoming very, very clear. There are people that have an agenda away from God and there's a people that have an agenda for God. Today, we have to make that decision. Church, we need to begin to apply the word of God in our lives, in our politics, in our education, in our music, in our conversations, in our workplaces. Elijah says you're faltering between the two ways and you have this great epic, this awesome story. For those of you who haven't read it, please go read this. First Kings 
chapter 18. It is the most powerful story in the Bible. I believe it's, it's amazing. You have Elijah. He comes and there's 450 prophets of Baal. By this time, there were no prophets of Baal before Jezebel came. Now there's 450 prophets of Baal. People, I mean, think about it. You have one Elijah, 450 of the popular crew. Come on. You get that image? Elijah's saying, people choose today. This is what we're going to do. He says, you go get two bulls, and we're going we're to sacrifice. And we're going to see who answers, who's God's who. First Kings 18.24, he says, you call on your God, and you do your thing. He says, I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people said, all the people said, okay, let it be well. That was spoken. So you have this, you have this story where you have the prophets of Baal. Elijah was so, he's so nice. He says, matter of fact, you pick the bull. I was going to stand over here. So the, these prophets of Baal, they go, they take the bull and they, they put it on an altar. They build it up, man. They put the wood and they do all this stuff. Then they start hopping around and doing all their rituals and all this other stuff. Nothing's happening. All the way from the morning until noon. And then Elijah's like, Hey, maybe your God is, maybe he's on the pot. Maybe he's taking a nap, you know. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he doesn't really care. You see, the truth is, is that they were just wasting their time. They, were, had, they had more reliance on their rituals. They had more reliance on their, their, the way they dressed. They, they even began to cut themselves, as it says that they would do. Why? They were trying to force the hand of a God that didn't exist. Elijah's watching, and he says, okay. If y'all have had enough. And they're like, yeah, whatever, man. This is probably nothing, all loss anyway. Nothing moves. Why? Because those rituals won't save you. Those things that have been added to the gospel won't save you, friends. Those things that that are outside, that have been introduced from the gospel of Jesus Christ will not save you. The only thing that will save you is Christ and Him crucified, raised again on the third day. Two bulls. The prophets of Baal, they cry out, they do their stuff. They prophesy all day long. You know, they play with their beads and they pray to the dead. They do their penance. They whip themselves. Nothing. 1 Kings 18.30, Elijah, he took 12 stones and according to the number of the tribes of Jacob, to whom the word of God had come saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with those stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench round about it. Get the image, people. He says, so he, he, he takes the bull, he butchers it, he puts it there, he puts the wood. He begins to even make a trench in the ground all the way around and he begins to fill that trench with water. He takes water pots and he pours them on top of the bull, right? He says, As a matter of, that, that's not enough. Do it again. More water pots on top of the bull. And at the right time, at the appointed time of the sacrifice, God, Elijah calls on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He begins to call on the one true God, the one who saves, the one who, who delivered them out of bondage. 
And he sends fire from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the altar. It consumes the water. It consumes everything. And the people begin to declare, He is our God. The Lord God is our God. Let me get the worship team. The Lord, He is God. We had read some verses of Scripture before I started. Romans 12, 1 says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between the, the hearts and intents of the soul. How many of you know the Word of God is powerful? It has the ability to deeply cleanse us all the way to the very core, the very nature of who we are. The Word of God is powerful. Why? Because it's the Word of God. Ephesians 5, 21, 26 says, The water is the Word that sanctifies the sacrifice. You see, this morning, I just want to tie this all together. You see, worship is our everything. You see, whenever we begin to fall away, we begin to allow things into our lives that aren't pure. Go back to worship. Go back to praise. Build again the altar of God in your life. Begin to do, look, it's not over. Begin to build again what God has created and started in you. You see, I believe in this image that that sacrifice that, that, was, put on the, that was put there on the altar, that represents each and every one of us here today. The, the Word of God says that we have to present, present our bodies a living sacrifice. Come on, how many of you know that the fire of God that came, comes from heaven has the ability to purify us? It also has the ability to burn things away. But it's all on the sacrifice. It's doing it all at the same time. You see, I just can't have the fire that come into my life to purify the good things and to hold back the bad things. It's all there. It all happens together at the same time. God purifies and He burns up. I, I can't falter between two opinions. I'm the sacrifice. Our body's wholly acceptable. Well, we're made righteous through Jesus Christ, but we ain't made perfect through Jesus Christ. Well, there's some things in our lives that we need to get rid of. There's some things in our lives that we've allowed in from the outside. We've allowed people to teach us ideologies to come in and contaminate the truth of the gospel man Jesus saved us not, not so that way I can continually live in penance and sacrifice he said it's finished on the cross that's the best news ever that's a song actually that's, a, that's some good news it's all about our worship are you willing to put yourself on that altar of sacrifice? Are you willing to be that sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God? Are you willing to allow, you see in this image, you have Elijah. He begins to take water pots and pours it over the sacrifice. Why? To cleanse it, to purify it. You see, the water is the word. The water is the word. That makes us right for sacrifice. See, just the bull was just the bull. But the bull with the water was the sacrifice. If we're going to be the sacrifice, we have to be washed by the word. And then God begins to cleanse us and purify us and makes us right before him.
the God who answers by fire, by consuming fire. Friends, God wants to consume us. He wants to purify us. That way, when people see us, they begin to see God in us. We hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.